The tyranny was broken by the sins of the Father, and his shepherds finally ceased to roam, seeking instead the simple peace found in the comfort of heart and home. All eyes now turn to his heir and son, who forged their home with his power. Will he be strong enough to lead them in this, their darkest hour? Hello and welcome back to The Lost Tribe, Darkest Hour. As always, I am the author and your humble narrator, Peter Ivey. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like and follow to keep me bringing the story to you. Thank you very much for listening, and let's begin. Chapter 34 Casey walked the halls of hearth, one gun slung on her hip. She wore two of Henry's medallions around her neck. The castle was very drafty tonight, and she pulled her brown shawl closer about her skin as the cool breezes drifted in about the halls from the battlements above. She rested a hand on the grip of her gun, feeling the cool but familiar texture of the old wooden panels on either side of the grip. Back on Ashia. The great gunsmiths were fond of using only wood from the pale bark wraithwood trees that grew on the edge of the red desert. They had cost her father dearly when he proposed to her mother, for it was the law of her people that no man could take a wife who couldn't shoot, and didn't wear guns worthy of her hand. Father had grown up poor, but had saved all he could to present his wife to be, with a pair of perfectly balanced revolvers with wraithwood grips, as his promise of fidelity. Looking back, it was unbelievable that he had tried to sell them to provide for Casey. It had the horrid stink of fate to it, a betrayal that had sent him to his death at the hands of lesser men. Her heart ached a little at the memory of those terrible times, and the revelation that put her on the path that she walked now. Things had been so good for so long. There was movement upstairs, the sound of footsteps on the stairs of the tower. Last she checked, Noel and Gavin had both gone to sleep in their quarters down the hall from the dining room. She had just walked by their doors. Flynn was supposed to be sleeping as well. What was happening to him was taking a heavy toll. She was losing her little boy piece by piece. For a moment, she hated Mick and his secrets. Hated all the people who played these games for power at the price of so much misery. Her grip on her gun tightened and she could feel the deadly urge build in her heart. The energy flowing upward in a rising tide of wrath and desire. She double-timed it up the stairs of the tower, trying to burn off the sudden rush of power. It wasn't until she reached the first landing outside the quarters that she'd realized that she had drawn her gun. She breathed out a couple long, slow breaths, waiting for the sound of her heart beating so hard to subside. She holstered her gun. Leaning against the wall, she cooled down. She felt like something inside her had gone rogue on her lately. Like one of the broken-down, wind-up tin toys she had when she was little. Eventually, the little gears inside them lost a tooth that came loose. They would then get hot or spin around aimlessly on the floor when wound up. These attacks had to end soon, and their enemies destroyed once and for all. Maybe then Flynn would get a chance to be happy and free from the worry that was driving his father down a dark path. The man she loved had been slowly fracturing since he took control of the worlds, losing himself a little bit more each day as he tried to stretch himself over the worlds like a shield. It broke her heart to see him fight so hard and still not realize that there was no stopping the natural course of human history. There was no telling him that either. He... There was a loud creak from the doors at the top of the tower. Casey crept up the stairs, rounding them until she reached the second landing. A pale, golden light shone out from inside. Casey peered around the corner, 
At the doors to the balcony, a tall man stood, his back to the room, wreathed in golden light. His hair was long and dark, his beard trimmed short. Around his hands, glowing wisps of golden light spun and intertwined. He wore a heavy leather coat, high, hard boots, and dark gloves trimmed with fur. Mick, what are you doing back? Did you free Silas's age? Hello, mother, a deep voice said. Casey's heart leapt up at her chest. Fear mixed with pride and astonishment made her words barely whispered all as it still stuck in her throat. Flynn? He turned around. The light that came and went from his hands faded and becoming tiny at his fingertips. The light around his head did not fade and reshaped itself to become a gentle nimbus. His eyes had changed completely, the color of his pupils becoming the shade of his entire eye, a brilliant green hue in which gold plex danced. His face was joyous, smiling, and bright. It was as if that shroud had been lifted from him, the storm clouds breaking to let the sun shine through. Casey crossed the distance between them in three steps and threw her arms around her son. As she held him, she could feel a slight hum coming from his chest. Her anxiety redoubled. Are you okay? I'm more than okay. You sound so much like your father. And I look like him too. I didn't mean to scare you, Mom. I woke up a few minutes ago and I... I just thought about it and I was dressed like this. I don't know if I borrowed it from Dad or it's just appeared out of nowhere. I'm feeling very strange. Strange how? I can see things now. Not just what we all see, but the things beneath. I can see Father's palace beneath this castle, as if it was still here. I can see doors where there shouldn't be any. And I, I can see the other worlds, Mother, as if these walls weren't here at all. Flynn reached out and ran a hand along something just above the height of his head, a pace or so away. Casey reached out, but there was nothing there. Flynn blinked and nodded as if acknowledging something familiar. The door to the Underrealm. Be careful, Flynn, Casey said, taking his hand. You shouldn't mess with something you don't understand. He turned towards her, the smile dropping from his cheeks. He frowned and gently pushed her away. The Underrealm was a way station for the worthy souls to be reborn into new shells to learn again, the rest of the dead being the energy that powers the soul storm that gives me my strength. I know more than you think. Casey stumbled back from Flynn and put her hand up to shield her eyes as the nimbus around his head flared into a brilliant corona. He then cried out, the light diminishing as he put one hand against the side of his head. <sighs> Flynn? Flynn! It's okay. All this is so new. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to get mad. Do you need to, to sleep a little longer, maybe? I've slept enough, Mom. I... I don't think I... Ah. Flynn stopped. He turned toward the open doors and looked up at a spot in the far distance. Something's wrong. He lifted off the ground, surrounded suddenly by wisps of energy. Hold it, Flynn! Hold it! Flynn made a sweeping notion with his hand, and the stones and timbers that made up the wall came apart as if they had exploded outward. Flynn glided through the debris and out into the night. The tower reformed after he departed. Casey blinked for a second, astonished. A few moments later, hoofing it down the stairs as fast as her legs could propel her onward, Casey raced to get out of hearth and chased down her son. God damn it, Mick! I wish I would have tethered our boy!
Chapter 35 The flame from Michael's weapon illuminated his men, and they came forward to surround Henry de Coombe and Jules. There were more than two dozen of them, dressed in cobbled-together armor and bearing crude weapons made from cast-off tools, and some actual weapons that had clearly seen better days. Their skin was pale, and there were bandages wrapped around the limbs of a number of them. They gave Dakuma a wide berth, but surrounded him, keeping a safe distance. Henry stared at Michael, a puzzled look on his face. How can you not be dead? I really took my time with you, as I recall. You watched me do a fine little dance, as I burned, little brother, with this very incinerator, I might add. Which you were kind enough to leave, after you torched our hallowed estate. A pit of poxied rats. Michael raised the incinerator to the level of Henry's head. Put down your weapons, Henry. Or would you like to see your friends burn, as I did? Henry shook his head and tossed his big gun on the ground, then his little pistol. He glared at Michael as he rose back up. Who do you think I am, boy? All of the weapons. All of them! Henry sighed and reached into his jacket and pulled out several small rods, gears, fasteners, tubes, and numerous bolts and screws. Michael frowned and stared at Henry. What is that? Uh, you don't want to know. You always were a tricksy bastard. And your friends? Jules and Takum looked at each other, unsmiling, and turned back to face Michael. We are our weapons, Scabby. Your choice of companions has much improved. Michael said, eyeing Jules. She is very lovely. Ugh. A grimace of displeasure spread across Michael's face. Besides, the big guy is my boyfriend, Henry said, hooking a thumb back at Takum. And he can really clear a room, if you know what I mean. Are we done with this drab little exercise, or do we ask him to demonstrate his talents on all of you? A brawler. How quaint. I also paint, Takum said quietly. How nice for you, Michael said, sneering at Takum. With your insolent blood. Michael's men were incensed and shook their weapons, calling for an answer to Takum's challenge. Michael laughed. Before any of you move against me, I could burn you where you stand. You and the others tried to kill me before, Henry said, one hand tightened to a fist. It didn't work out for you at all then, either. Ah, you're right. We knew you were different, Henry. Well, we just didn't understand how different you really are. I know that now. Shall I tell you why you're not going to fight me? Oh, of course. Sure. Michael drew up close to Henry and put the muzzle of the incinerator within the foot of his chest. Henry's vest began to singe slightly in the heat. If you don't come along with me, I'm going to burn all of you. And as you're licking your wounds, I'm going to seal each of you in a block of cement and drop you up the side of the good old transway into the waste you can rot forever. I'll die before letting you do that, Jules said. I'll make sure you won't. Third time, said Sean. You are a truly messed up little piece of swill, aren't you, sweetie? Oh, you have no idea. Enough, Henry shouted. We'll go with you, Michael. A collective groan and disapproval rumbled through the crowd of thugs. Michael shook his head and thumped the muzzle against Henry's arm. You disappoint me. My pleasure, big brother. Move it! Surrounded by a gang of murderous thugs, they were led off into the dark towards the heart of the city. Michael kept the incinerator at Henry's back, close enough that he could burn all three of them if they resisted. 
This is a great weapon you built, little brother. I've got some good use of it down here, which will please you greatly, I expect. Shut up, Michael. I think not. But oh, did I find a chink in your armor, Henry? Hmm? No, I, I just remembered why I tried to burn you to death. <laughs> really? Yeah, you never knew when to stop jabbering away. I had to keep my place. You were younger, but you were the favorite. Father lavished you with gifts, gave you all the best tools. You were the best at school, the most gifted inventor of your generation. Not to mention the best sweeper Cathedral had ever seen. Oh, that's right, Michael. Get it all out. Get all that vile and poison out of you. Henry swung himself around to face Michael. The one thing we did share, and you turned your back on it. Just like you did on all your life. I was born different, brother. And I tried to blend in for years, doing all the things that disgusted me, just to please the rest of you. Michael pushed Henry to keep moving, and Agri shoved the cause's splintered frame to wheeze and squeal. Henry kept moving forward, Dacoon turned to him. A puzzled look at his face. Henry turned away. It is a shame you stopped. Killing doesn't have the same allure for me as it does for you. I burned you and the rest because you made me suffer, and in the state of my mind I was in afterward, I desired nothing less than to make you pay for it. And all the men and women that we destroyed in these very tunnels? Did you forget how helpful all your toys were in ending the lives of those miserable creatures? I forget nothing. No? Then why so high and mighty, Henry? Ever the deviant. We burned so many deviants. Just like you. Henry screamed in rage and left at Michael, knocking inside the incinerator. He ripped the rebreather from Michael's face and tried to get his hands around his neck. Michael grabbed Henry's hands. They struggled, but Michael was simply stronger. He began to push Henry to his knees. There you are, little Henry, he said, crushing Henry's fingers in his grip. I didn't recognize you without the bloodlust in your eyes. He lifted Henry to his feet and shoved him back. Takum and Jules caught him and huddled around his shaking form. Now I can be satisfied that you won't meet your death knowing that you are anything more or less than the killer I always knew you were. The sound was very loud as they entered the core itself. It was much warmer here, and sweat glistened and fell off every brow. A huge and intricately woven sphere of gears, the drive as the citizens of Cathedral called it, sat at the core, turning slowly but smoothly propelled by the steam from a colossal simmering pool of molten rock that churned below. Far above, near the top of the drive, a maddening array of pipes formed a trunk that ended the series of boxy-looking machines surrounding the drive. Some of the pipes glowed with the heat and energy pumping through them. Around the drive, there were large iron walkways that connected the maintenance tunnels running through the underground. A massive spiral stairway led up through the wrought iron, tucked away directly across from the tunnels. It led up to the surface. For one of the tunnels, Henry and Dacoum and Jules were herded by Michael and his thugs. This isn't right, Jules said, looking around the core. Yes, Henry replied. Where are the people, all the workers? Dacoum pointed to a dim place near the drive in the shadow of the big machine. Right over there. Beside the big machine in a pile nearly four feet high were the bodies of the workers. Some of them had augmented frames and stuck out at strange angles, and others were dressed in simple coveralls with a tool belt. The wretched folk who had sought refuge down in the maintenance tunnel were mixed in as well, in various shabby, dirty clothes. You murderous bastards. You murderous monsters. 
Michael put his hand on Henry's shoulder. Not my handiwork, he said, whispering to Henry. This slaughter was conducted by the one who commands me. Three forms revealed themselves from atop the machines near the core. Stark shadows against the bright glow of the mid-molten rock below. They jumped down from the machines, landing in a crouch. As they rose to the feet, each unfolded something from their person. There was a tightening, straining sound. Henry held up his hands. What is this, Michael? The shadows slipped forward, revealing their thin, dark-clad forms. They were hooded in pale skin, blamed from the darkness. Each had a drawn bow, and they aimed it at Henry, Dacum, and Jules. This is where you die, Henry. Please don't mistake me. I wish that your death be more personal. But my master made me a generous offer. All I had to do was watch and wait for your return. Your timing could be better, though. Unfortunate, really, for you. A trap. Yes, and a bloody great one, too. A man walked into view from the tunnel beside where the others entered. He was dressed in dark jeans and leather boots, the charcoal vest over a dark brown jerkin. His black hair hung past his shoulders, and he had a short beard trimmed to accentuate the sharpness of his jawline. His hands were bare, and thin black veins running in a web lengthwise to the tip of his fingers. His eyes glowed slightly with power, a cold blue light that turned his flesh pale. He walked over to Michael and put one arm around his shoulders. Hey, you're looking well, Julia. Or Lethe, or whatever you call yourself now. Death just doesn't take with you, does it? Jack held up his hand, and dark energy spun around his fingers in a twisting coil of thorns. Michael flinched a bit as he did so, and Jack grinned at his discomfort. I died trying to clear a path for you, you asshole. You were supposed to stop my known as flunkies, not join up. Hmm, I got a better deal, bitch. Pardon me for interrupting this tender little reunion, Henry said, stepping in front of Jules. But what the hell is your play here, Jack? Oh well, first of all, a little fun. Jack slammed his energy-filled hand against Michael's chest, setting the power surging into him. Michael gasped and stiffened, his eyes filled with the same blue light as Jack's. I have been following your little group since you entered the tunnels, Henry. I heard what Michael wants to do with you, and I'm half inclined to let him do it. However, coming from a deviant background like yourself, I feel an odd sense of ah, kinship. That's it. Doesn't go as far as letting you live much longer, but I do feel some payback is due for even suggesting this horrible, torturous fate. Duck, Henry. Henry's eyes widened and he grabbed Jules and Dacoum by the arm, dragging them forward and going flat as Jack forced them out to fire his incinerator. The flames roared over the assembled thugs, instantly charring the ones close to the blast and sending the others screaming and burning into the darkness. Michael washed the flames over them until they stopped moving. The last of them breathed hoarse, pitiful moans as they expired. The air was filled with the horrid smell of burning flesh and filth. There, Jack said. Now we're even. Michael managed to turn his head, casting a hateful glare at Jack. Turning to his puppet, Jack showed him a toothy grin. Well, almost, he said, his smile fading to a look of grim malevolence. Michael turned the novel of his incinerator upward, straining and shaking as he tucked it underneath his own chin. Jack turned back to Henry and winked. The incinerator erupted, the nozzle ejected flame in a solid stream that obliterated Michael's head in a torrent of immolation. Jack let go of him and kicked him backwards. Michael's flaming body fell into the grating with a thud and lay still. Charred embers from his body and that of his comrades fell through the grating and down to the pool of molten rock. 
like fiery drizzle. Jack's men stepped closer to Henry and his group. Jack dusted a couple embers from his vest and stepped up beside his men. Oh, you don't have to thank me, Henry. Your brother was truly unpleasant to work with. You're still just a murderous monster, Henry said, getting to his feet. I'm glad that there's nothing worth saving in you. Jack pouted, sticking out his lip. You wound me, and after such a generous offer on my part... Oh well. On with the business at hand, I suppose. Which is? As we speak, the rest of my men are slitting the throats of all those silly people in those guard towers, including the ones operating the flame cannons. When they're all done, which should be very soon, I'm going to start destroying this city. And everyone in it. The three of you have a simple choice. You can portal away and go tell Mick what I'm going to do to yet another of his shitty little worlds. Or you can try and stop me and save these wretched people. I'll even give you a head start before I track you down and kill you. Fight me here and all those people die anyway, and possibly you with them. It's a chance, right? Takum and Jules rose up as well to stand beside Henry. That's not really much of a choice. Jack smirked and shrugged his shoulders. Hey, it's not without a sense of irony anyway. <laughs> you hate these people. I don't care about them either, but you can either save them and die, or go and feel the guilt over not saving them. I really couldn't care less. You truly are a bastard. Henry, Jules, and Dacoum headed off towards the other side, and the stairway that led to the streets above. See you all real soon! Jack laughed, and the sound filled every shadow as the trio hurried up the stairs to fight for the lives of the citizens of Cathedral. Thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. Keep sharing and subscribing to help me keep bringing the story to you. Come back next week for the next episode of The Lost Tribe, Darkest Tower.